Let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 17, 17. But just to do a little review, <clears throat> the first part of Matthew 17, Peter, James, and John, the three of the twelve, got to go with Jesus up a mountaintop and have this incredible experience with Jesus, right? A mountaintop experience, we call it, we use that term, and, and, and for them, and I think when we have these kinds of experiences, it's like, a, it's like a preview of a little foretaste of what heaven is going to be like, where we see Jesus face to face, where we, there's no more pain, no more suffering, the glory of God is like shining out, shining forth. And, you know, in this life, uh, we get these little glimpses from time to time, and I think they're just very, very small glimpses, and, and uh, if anybody tells you that they see the full glory of God, you know, they're probably on something, or I don't know, but, but, but I think God allows us to have these tiny little glimpses of God's glory in, 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 in our relationship with Him, and, and sometimes in prayer, sometimes just in reading His Word, we, we, we kind of get this glimpse of who Jesus really is. Then we see that Moses and Elijah, Elijah show up, they're talking with Jesus, and, and Peter, of course, wants to make it permanent, and... Uh, you know, start saying, you know, well, let's set up some tents and tabernacle. We'll do this thing. We'll get the, We're just going to stay here. But that's not yet to be, is it? One day we'll see Jesus face to face, 1 Corinthians tells us, but not yet. We walk by faith now and by sight, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of messages in this passage we're going to look at today, but one of them is about faith and trust so, but God's, God sort of steps in, interrupts Peter, and says, this is my son whom I love. It's all about his son, Jesus, for you and for me. He says, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Don't listen to yourself. Don't listen to people. Listen to Jesus. And you and I need to do the same thing today. They fell face down, it says, and they were touched by Jesus who told them to get up and don't be afraid. Get up and don't be afraid. He says, listen to my son, and the first words that Jesus says to them are, get up and don't be afraid. Get up and don't be afraid. Those are good words, you know, and especially in this, in this life. So we get beat down, don't we? He says, get up and don't be afraid. Carry on, move on. Jesus, I believe, is still speaking today through his word. Justin was talking about God's word and the word of God that we have He's speaking by His Spirit. He's speaking through people, but it's His Word. And, you know, these, they went up the mountain, but at some point in time, what? They had to come back down the mountain, didn't they? They couldn't stay up there. They had to come back down to the need, to the, where the battle was, to where the issues were. And what did they face, as we'll see here in this passage, what did they face when they got down? They faced pain. How many of you know what pain is like in this life? They faced anguish. They face suffering. They face sickness. They face battles with the things of life, but also spiritual battles with the enemy. So do you and I go down, or do we just try to stay up on the mountaintop and look out for us? You know, do we cloister ourselves away in some you know, far uh, removed place, and we're just going to stay there? And, but, but, but the Word of God says we need to go into all the world and and preach the gospel. We need to you know, go into the world and make disciples and, and learn how to follow Jesus in this life and help others follow Jesus in this life. 
One commentator said that life is not all a mountaintop experience, and boy, do, do you know that that's true. It's not all a mountaintop experience. We have mountaintops, but we also have what? Those valleys. But it's interesting that Psalm 23 says, you know, the Lord says in Psalm 23, you know, uh, that, you know, when we go through what? The valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He says, you know, not when I go up on the mountaintop. We kind of already know what's going on up there. But when we're in the valley, we start to wonder. But we need to know that the Lord is there with us. Warren Wiersbe says, we can't always stay on the Mount of Glory with the King. We must descend with Him into the valley of need. The valley of need where Satan is at work. Look at verse 14. We'll pick it up where we left off. It says, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and, and knelt before Him. Now, I want you to, uh, to also open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. And kind of, you can... You can uh, Put your bulletin or something in there because we're going to toggle back and forth. You know what the word toggle means, right? We're going to toggle back and forth be, between these two passages uh, this morning because it's a, it's a parallel, what they call a parallel account uh, written by Mark. Look at verse 14 <clears throat> in Mark chapter 9. It says, when they came to the other disciples, Mark 9, 14, when they came to the other disciples, right? That's the other nine, right? Three went up the mountain and nine stayed down. It says they, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Boy, there's, a, there's so much in, these, in, this, in this story, you know. But these other disciples, they were... You know, they stayed down the mountain. And Jesus comes down with these three from this mountaintop experience. And so what does he find them doing? Arguing. Don't we love to argue? I love to make my point. I love to get, you know, my point across and argue. And, and they're arguing with these, these uh, quote-unquote spiritual leaders. So not everybody, not everybody was up on the mountaintop, Right? We're not all going to be up on the mountaintop at the same time. Three of them got to go up there with Jesus and see this and have this experience. But the nine, the rest of the nine of them were down below dealing with the issues and the problems. And we'll see that they didn't really do so well. They kind of didn't do well at all, actually, in this battle that they were facing. But don't you like it what it says there when, when these people... That, you know, you, you got this group of people arguing and, 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 and then the people, the crowd of people around watching them argue. Now, how helpful is that? They're watching them argue. And then, and then Jesus comes down and, and they see Jesus and they go, wow, finally. Because we're not seeing Jesus over here with these people because all they're doing is arguing. And Jesus comes down and, he, and they see him and they go, wow. It says they're filled with wonder. They're overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. You know, one of, the, one of the messages in this passage is that people will let you down. People will let you down. It's just the way it is. Why? Because we're people. I'll let you down. People around you, your husband, your wife, your family members, they're going to let you down at some point or another. But Jesus will never let you down. And ultimately, the idea is to go and be face-to-face -face with Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't use people in our lives, because he does. He does, and he will. 
right? He'll use people to get his message across that we might even see Jesus through people's lives. But here, when they finally saw Jesus, it was, it was completely different. They were overwhelmed with wonder, overwhelmed with, with the wonder of Jesus Christ. And for you and I to, uh, to have that experience where we are overwhelmed with wonder. I think kind of Val was talking about that in, in, in uh, you know, th- this wonder of seeing Jesus and, and having a relationship with him. Is that beyond our reach? No. The Bible says Jesus came down to make it within our reach. It's not beyond our reach. Sometimes, you know, we, we think, oh, that's beyond our reach. That's for the, the pastor to have that kind of relationship or, or the, you know, the holy man to have this kind of relationship. No, every one of us can have a relationship of wonder with Jesus. Every one of us, every one of you can have that. It's not beyond your reach. It's within your reach. Why? Because Jesus came down to make it possible. He's there. He's with you just as he's with me. So they, they're having this issue back in, and toggle back to Matthew 17, verse 15, says there that <clears throat> this man who came and knelt before Jesus, again, he comes to Jesus and he says these words in verse 15, Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. And then toggle back to Mark chapter 9 to, to get the rest of the picture there. Verse 16 says, what are, you, uh, what are you arguing with them about? And he asked, and a, a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. He was possessed by a spirit. We see that, you know, he was suffering, it said in Matthew. He's suffering greatly. He is unable to speak. It it says in in Luke's uh, parallel account that the spirit scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. So what's happening here is that this, this poor young man, and again, as I said earlier about what Barbara was saying, you know, this man comes to Jesus with his son. Why? Because his son is suffering so greatly. He's suffering greatly, and, and the things he's doing, it, you know, they're destroying him. We see in this particular case that there's a, a demonic factor to it, but but, you know, they, they were up on the mountain, these three, and they come down the mountain, and this is what they find. They find arguing, they find suffering and, and battles and, and destruction and ugliness. No wonder, you know, they wanted to stay up there. I would too. I'd love to stay up there. But, but right now, God wants us to be down here where we can do some good, where we can help some people that are struggling and suffering. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling, you're suffering, and, 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 and even in this particular case, I wonder if, if, if it's one of the things that you and I talk about today of being suicidal. He'd throw himself into the, to the, to the, to the fire. He was, he was trying to uh, destroy himself. Of course, it was motivated and he was being pressured by the enemy. And I wonder about this, you know, we, we, we see a lot of suicide, do, do we not, in our, in our society, and a lot of teen suicide as well. 
And, and you say, you know, is it all Satan? No, it's not all Satan. There's a lot of factors, but could he be involved in some of it? I do believe that he is and that he can be. And, 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 and the enemy can be involved in a lot of this kind of stuff. But we saw there in Mark, and, and it says in Matthew, turn back to Matthew again, trying to keep you on, on task here, on target, verse uh, 16 we already read it in Mark. He says, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. They could not heal him. Now, we'll get back to that in a minute. But notice this, that this man, this man persisted. He, in other words, he didn't give up. He didn't give up. He didn't take no for an answer. Though the disciples let him down, he didn't stop. You know? He persisted until he got to Jesus. You know, you and I, you know, we, we're, we're trying sometimes. We're doing the best we can. We want to we follow Jesus, but something happens with a person or whatever, and we just, we just give up and we stop. But this man said, you know what? I'm not going to stop. I, I care too much about my son. And he persisted until he got to Jesus. Don't let people stop you in your pursuit of God. People, as I said, they'll let you down. They'll get in the way. They'll fail. And that's what they did, but this man was persistent. And this is good for you and for me that we need to persist in following and seeking after God. When you open up his word and he says, seek after me and you'll find me. Seek after me with all your heart. You'll find me, he says. But don't just look at people. Look at verse 17 back in in uh, Matthew 17, Jesus' response to this man and, and really kind of to his disciples, he says, Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? He doesn't just talk about them, but he talks about the whole generation. They've kind of missed the point. They missed the mark. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. But is there really anything new under the sun? Is it any different today? We're, un we're just as unbelieving as they were. We're just as perverse as they were in our society. We think, well, it's so much worse today than it was then, but, but, but it really isn't any different. And, and notice that in, in Jesus' words, how long, how long do I have to stay here with you? How long do I have to put up with you? And, 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 and a little side kind of note there is that Jesus, he's really longing for his heavenly home, isn't he? He said, how long do I got to stay down here in this mess with you people? It's no different today. But, but for you and I, you know, we kind of feel that way sometimes too, don't we? How long do I got to stay here in this mess? In this, uh, I heard it twice this morning, this holiday mess. How long do I have to stay here? The holiday and brings out the, the very best in us, like good foods or Hellman's or whatever it is. <laughs> Bring out the best in us. Is it that way, though? Bring out the worst. I long to be with him. I mean, how many, how many days go by in your life when you just, there's some point in your life, you know, I, I just kind of wish I was at home in heaven with him. How many days go by? For me, I don't think there is a day that, that goes by that I don't think, you know what? 
How long do I got to keep doing this thing? This life, the struggle, the pain, and, and the stuff that's all around you. Not that there aren't mountaintop experiences, there are. Not that there aren't joys in life, there are. But, but you know, it's, it's not an easy place to be, is it? But Jesus felt the same way. He says, how long? How long? You read Psalm 13. David writes in Psalm 13, how long do I got to put up with this? And then some of it was within his own self. How long do I got to put up with these crazy, you know, thoughts and pressure and, and all this stuff? And then, but at the end of the psalm, he says, but I, but I trust in you. But I trust in you. And we walk by faith until that time that he does take us to be with him. He says to Jesus, Jesus says to the man, though, bring him, bring the boy here to me. And, and again, bringing him directly to Jesus. Let's look at uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 20 now. So they brought him. It's interesting. It says they there. Probably needed some help. The young man was was having some, obviously some very severe things, but isn't that true as well? I just noticed that, that that, uh, we need to help each other, you know? It's not just me bringing my son, but, but now it says they brought him. And so if I have a need and I need to bring, maybe, maybe I need you to come alongside me to help bring that to Jesus, you see. We work, we pray together. That's what Barbara's talking about. We come and, and we pray together. We agree together in prayer. We, we're doing that on Wednesday night. We're bringing this church and the needs of this church and, and what God is you know, uh, calling us to do. We're bringing it before the Lord and together and so it says that they they brought him and when the spirit saw jesus it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion and he fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth jesus asked the boy's father how long has he been like this from childhood he answered it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him but if you can do anything Take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. But immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When the Spirit saw Jesus, interesting it didn't happen when they saw the disciples, right? No problem there. They were ineffective. There wasn't much going on in the lives of those nine disciples, right? And the, the, the Spirit's probably kind of laughing. Well, there's no power over there. No big deal here. No, no worries. But when Jesus shows up, the Spirit, it says, saw Jesus, and, and then all this stuff happens. But did you notice there this man's crisis of faith isn't that like us he he comes to jesus and he he comes with what he has and but jesus says everything is possible for him who believes but the man said i i do believe but help me overcome my unbelief i do believe and isn't that a lot like us we 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 got we do believe but there's a lot of this unbelief that's kind of gets mixed in isn't it Again, we're in these, these uh, human bodies. We just don't have it all together. We, but we we, we got to keep persisting despite the man having uh, 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 
who knows how much unbelief in his life, he persisted to get to Jesus. He didn't give up before that. He says, well, I, I, just, I don't have enough faith, so I'm going to stop here and I'm just going to uh, not carry on. No, he had enough faith to know that he had to get to Jesus. Don't let even our own unbelief stop us from getting to Jesus. Look back in Matthew chapter 17, verse 18. It says that Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. He rebuked the demon, it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. Now the cause of this boy's suffering was what? Demonic. Is it demonic in all cases? No, of course not. Of course not, but in some cases it is. I read a, um, a study, <clears throat> some results of a study that was done, and the title of it is this. Most U.S. Christians don't believe Satan or the Holy Spirit really exist. Most U.S. Christians do not believe that Satan or the Holy Spirit really exists. It says the majority of American Christians do not believe that Satan is a real being or that the Holy Spirit is a living entity, the latest Barna survey has found. Nearly six out of ten Christians surveyed either strongly agreed or somewhat agreed with the, state, the statement that Satan is not a living being but is a symbol of evil. He's just symbolic. There really is no being. In contrast, 35% of American Christians do believe that he's real. He goes on to say, interestingly, the majority of Christians believe a person can be under the influence of spiritual forces such as demons or evil spirits, even though many of these same people believe Satan is merely a symbol of evil. So you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Well, yeah, they're under some kind of force of, uh, you know, demonic force, but there really is no force. It's just symbolic. So which way is it? Well, who are you going to believe? What people think or what the Bible says? The Bible, obviously, Jesus believed that Satan existed. Jesus believed there was a demonic realm and a spiritual realm. You know, when you read the Bible, I think what, and through this passage here, is that, that the Word of God wants to open our eyes and our hearts to understand that there's way more than what, just what we see and hear and feel. And just what, what I think. It's way bigger than that. And he wants to take us into some, some you know, different understandings and even different dimensions of the, of the life around us and challenge us to step up and, and, and trust in God in all areas of our lives. And even these spiritual lives and even these spiritual battles, it says he rebuked the demon. Back in Mark chapter 9, verse 20, 25, it says this. It says, he rebuked the evil spirit, you deaf and mute spirit, he says, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a, a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. There was a battle that took place there. Well, if you, if you don't believe that Satan is real, if you don't believe there is such a thing as demonic forces and spirits, they got you whooped already. They've already won. How would you ever confront a demonic spirit if you didn't believe there was such a thing as a demonic spirit? 
But again, back to what the Bible teaches, that you, you show me a verse that says that there, are no, there is no more demonic activity in this life and in this world. There is spiritual battles until the very, very end, right? In the book of Revelation, when they're all thrown into the, to the lake of fire, right? Satan and his, and his angels and, his, and the demons are thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. But until that time, we've, we've got battles that are going on. Don't kid yourself that there's no such thing as Satan. Have you, you know, we, we've got a, a number of people here today, and, and he said almost 60% of, of U.S. Christians don't believe that there isn't, even is such a thing as a Satan. But he goes on to say in that article, they also, uh, uh, many of them do not believe there's such a thing as the Holy Spirit. That's just symbolic too. But in a group this size, there's got to be some of you, maybe some of you are going, man, I, 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 you know what, I don't believe in that stuff. Well, who told you that there was no Satan? It wasn't God's word. It wasn't, it wasn't Jesus. And if, if you're a Christian, we want to follow what Jesus Christ has to say and what he did and what, how he showed us. And he, did a, he, you know, he, he delivered and healed this young man from that moment. Luke tells us at that point in time, they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Why? Because, because the power of God is so much greater and stronger than the power of, of Satan. Greater is he that is in you, right, than he that is in the world. Let me just clarify one, mis, one gross misunderstanding is that, you know, it, there are others that have this view that Jesus and Satan are kind of like on the same level. And some would say they're even brothers, like, that's ridiculous. They're on the same level. There's, no, there's not even any comparison. They're not on the same level, not even in, even in the same ballpark. See, Jesus is the creator. He's, he's God the Son. And Satan is a created being. They're not on the, you know, not one is evil and one is good, and they're on the same, you know, the force of evil and the force of good, and they battle it out, and they get the, you know, swords and all this nonsense. No, no. They, it says, they are amazed at the greatness of God because there's no comparison between the power of Jesus and the power of Satan. But you and I need to get a little, little keyed into this stuff in, in our lives because, uh, yeah, I don't think anyone here is important enough to be, I hate to shatter your illusion, <laughs> important enough for Satan himself to be here. He, I believe there is a being, he is, his name is Satan, Lucifer, he is a single being, he can only be in one place at one time, but I don't think you're important enough for him to be chasing after you. But, there are plenty of demonic spirits that are active in this world, and, and are they involved in things in this world and in our lives, and even you know, chasing after us, or involved in someone that we know and love? Yes, there are. Yes, there are. And the sooner we understand that, the, the sooner we can do battle and fight this battle. There's a battle going on today, but what we see in this passage is that we can't fight in our own strength and in our own name. We'll be completely useless. Those nine disciples were completely useless, right? They were useless. They couldn't do anything. Why? We'll see. We'll see in a second. Let's look at uh, verse 19 in, in uh, chapter 17. The disciples came to Jesus in private. They didn't want to talk about it in front of everybody else. They came to him in private. Hey, can we talk about this? 
Jesus, like, you know, the demon just didn't even know we were there. So they came and asked, why couldn't we cast it out? Why couldn't we drive it out? They came and asked Jesus that. Why is nothing happening? You know, you know when you read and, and study this, you find out that in the past, they had done this. They had cast out demons. They were sent out and given authority over evil spirits. Matthew chapter 10, and verse 1 and 8, Mark chapter 6. Luke chapter 9, they had been out and done these things, but what had happened? Something had changed, right? Maybe got a little complacent. Maybe weren't kind of as close. to. Maybe they, they, they walked away from that, that simple trust in Jesus. That's what he says there in verse 20. He says, he replied, because you have so little faith. Because you have so little faith, you don't, you don't trust me. You don't trust in me. Your, your faith isn't you know, what, what it should be, what it can be. Maybe what it was in the past. He said, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move here, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you through faith. That simple faith in the power of Jesus. I wonder, I wonder if... Really, it, it just had to do with, with where they were at in their, in their lives of following Jesus. Were they developing? Were they, were they staying close? Were they, did they have that prayer happening in their lives? And for you and I today, do we have any kind of devotional life? Do we have a time set aside where we open up God's Word and we spend time just speaking to Him, nothing else? Where we take that time and that verse in Psalm says, Be still and know that I am God. Do we take that time and we're, we're still before Him? That's what prepares us for the battles that are yet to come, right? They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know ahead of time. But D.A. Carson says what they need is not great faith. Tiny faith will do, but true faith. Faith that out of a deep personal trust expects God to work. You know... You know that, that saying, uh, you know, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater? You know, I said that one time in, years and years ago in Bible college, and, uh, and uh, this girl in the back just started laughing. And I got like, what is wrong with you? She said afterwards, she said, you know, I just couldn't get that picture out of my mind, this baby flying out with the bathwater. And, and, you know, but the point of that saying is that, you know, what is the point of that saying? point of that saying is, you know, the bathwater is dirty, but you don't throw everything out. And, and what, I've, what I've found and seen is, as I look at this and think about this passage too, is that there have, there have come extremes, right? And, and we call them like the word faith movement, where they've taken these passages and they've built whole doctrines about them. And if you say it like this and you do it like this and made formulas and all that. But so we, we kind of, you know, we... we turn away from that, but the fact of the matter is that Jesus said these words, that he says, if you trust me, if you have faith, just a tiny little faith, like a mustard seed, you can do incredible things and God can work through your life. These are the words of Jesus, not of the words of some faith teacher. Faith can move mountains. I guess the question is, have you ever tried? Now, I don't think he's talking about like Jeremoth Hill or 
What's the name of that big mountain in, in New Hampshire? Mount Washington. I don't think he's talking about those kinds of mountains because I, I think, you know, we would see the, the view changing all the time if that kind of thing happened. But, but the mountains of life and, and, you know, there is this dimension of faith where we, where we trust him in the mountains of life. There's that dimension of faith where we hold on to him with everything we have. Facing those mountains... This man was facing a mountain, was he not? It was huge, way bigger than him. You know, you've seen those bumper stickers, you know, this car climbed Mount Washington. (laughs) Way bigger than that. But he says, nothing will be impossible for you. D.A. Carson, again, I I quote him, and and he's very studious, this man, and... uh, He's definitely not in the word faith movement, but, but he said these words, believe in our hearts, speak with our mouths, expect things to happen and the landscape will change. Why does he say that? Because the Bible says it, because Jesus says those words. <clears throat> Could it possibly be that, that God is calling us, he's daring us to trust him in, in the things of this life? He's daring us to to get involved in these things and pray and believe that prayer changes things. I think he is. But I think we we settle for just kind of like a, a mundane kind of humanistic experience with faith. You know, just... Just, you know, it's, it just makes me feel good in this life and that. But, but he's calling us to more than that, I think. I really believe that. He's calling us to more than just, you know, humdrum Christianity. Don't worry. I'm not going to go word faith on you. I want you to understand that. But I, am, I do want to go word, right? God's word. Nothing will be impossible for you if you trust if you have faith as small as a mustard, it's not how big your faith is. It's, it's, it's what kind of, where the faith is, what kind of quality it is, where the faith, faith is put. It's put in Jesus himself, right? Verse 21, and I know um, some of your Bibles don't have it in the uh, text, but it is in the margin. If you'll look and see, it says, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And it's, the reason they do that, it's not found in some of the early manuscript, manuscripts, but it is found in the majority of manuscripts, also kind of backed up by Mark uh, chapter 9, verse 29. This need for prayer and fasting, and I think biblically the whole context of the New Testament, and, and even in the Old Testament, I read uh, in Daniel how Daniel in chapter 9, he, he took this time to humble himself to pray and to fast before God. Had they forgotten the source? They were maybe, you know, they had their apostle badges on there. And, you know, I'm an apostle. I can do these things. And the demons just kind of laughed, you know. They, they weren't, as I said earlier, they weren't prayed up. They weren't ready. Maybe we need to be praying and fasting as part of our, our lifestyle that, that will prepare us for the battles that are ahead. John Corson uh, uh, Calvary Chapel pastor in Oregon, he says it's a lifestyle of prayer and fasting, not an emergency session. 
He says, had they been praying and fasting all along, they could have spoken the word of faith that would have resulted in deliverance and salvation. Not, you know, oh, what do we do now? Let's pray and fast. Well, right now, the, the need's right there. But, but, but what, you know, are these things a part of our lives uh, ahead of time? Not just prayer, but fasting as well. I, I, I don't fast very often, and I was convicted by this. Like, shouldn't it be a part of who we are? where we take that time to seek after God's face and, and who knows what is going to be down the road that it prepares us for. A man by the name of Boyce said he was a pastor of a church in, in Philadelphia for many, many years. He says to be effective in serving God, we need a personal, continuing relationship with God, not mechanical. He says there are no shortcuts to spiritual authority. These disciples, they couldn't rely on what they did in the past. They couldn't use a particular type formula. It's not about formulas. Well, and I've heard that through my many years, you know, uh, uh, of experience with different kinds of churches and that. There's a formula. Well, this is how you do it. You fight Satan like this. The battle goes like this. You say the word just like this. You, you get the certain kind of pose and then you, you know, you, you get your face red in a certain kind of way and, and you, you have to shout really loud because, the, you know, the spiritual realm can't hear you unless you're shouting. You know, it, it goes on and on, but it's, a, it's formulas, it's not about formulas. Spiritual authority is about having this walk and this faith, abiding faith in Jesus Christ that will prepare you and I for the battles that are ahead, that will get us through those battles. Acts chapter 19, you saw, you, you can read there, you know, these guys, they went out and they tried to use the formula. And what happened? It says they got chased out. They got chased on. At least the disciples in this particular case, they didn't get beat up and chased out. They just kind of got ignored. But I want to finish before we have communion here in just a minute with the verses back in Matthew chapter 17 and verses 22 and 23. It says, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. And they will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. The ultimate answer is the cross and the resurrection, is it not? That's what gives us our power. And in, in, in the Revelation, it talks about, you know, they, they defeated the enemy, Satan, by two things. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. You know, if, if you and I don't have that abiding and personal walk and relationship, we've got no testimony, we're not going to be very effective, right? But ultimately, it's, it's found at the cross. That's where, that's where Satan was completely and totally defeated, right? At the cross. Someone said this, one could never say that death took Jesus by surprise. He was in control of his life, and no one could take it from him. He also told the disciples that death would not be the end for him. The resurrection, the death and resurrection of our Savior. That's where the victory is. That's where the power is. It's not in learning a formula. It's, it's about walking close to Him. It's about what He did for us, knowing Him and the cross.